الجزيره بودكاست Will Recep Tayyip Erdogan win another term? The Turkish leader has got a much needed endorsement from a nationalist party leader. But will that make a difference in Sunday's runoff? And what impact will it have on Turkey's future? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. They're all joining us from Turkey in Istanbul. Mehmet Celik, uh, editorial coordinator at the Daily Sabah newspaper. In Balıkesir, Burak Dalgan, the vice chairman of the Opposition Democracy and Progress Party. And also in Istanbul, Tarek Ozlu, professor of international relations and the dean of the Faculty of Science and Arts at Istanbul Aydın University. A warm welcome to you all and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Tarek, let me start with you today. Um, how much has nationalism turned out to be a defining factor in this election cycle? I think that's the key issue of this process. Uh, because in the first round of the election, as we all of us remember quite clearly, Erdogan, the incumbent president, has used this uh, ideology quite efficiently and successfully. Whereas on the other hand, Kılıçdaroğlu was somehow quite weak on this point. So he pursued a very much polite and economy-based strategy. But at the end of the day, we had seen the results supporting the extreme nationalist discourse adopted by Erdogan. That's why Kılıçdaroğlu, on the way to the runoff, has shifted its approach to further nationalism and very much talking about the idea that if I come uh, to the presidency, I guarantee that the survival of the state will be assured. I will deal with the problem of immigration successfully uh, and Turkey will improve all kinds of problems it has encountered in recent years. So nationalism as a political ideology has become very much adopted by Kılıçdaroğlu himself. So it was already the case that Erdogan has proved that he's a master politician in terms of uh, using nationalist ideology in this particular sense. But the core issue in this uh, runoff process concerns the immigration issue. The fact that Kılıçdaroğlu had to secure the support of Özdağ, Ümit Özdağ, one of the part- leaders of the party supporting Ata, the coalition, shifting its uh, support uh, to Kılıçdaroğlu speaks for itself. It means that uh, with Özdağ in, in the nation alliance, I will be in a much better position to deal with problem of immigration and terrorism. So you can count on me. That was the message uh, Kılıçdaroğlu has been given. Tarek, I'll get back to you a little bit later about what you were addressing with regards to Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu and the fact that he's allied himself with nationalist uh, figures at this point. But but first, I want to ask you about the fact that the nationalist hardline candidate uh, Sinan Oğan, he had received a surprising 5.2 percent of the votes in the first round, and he has now endorsed President Erdogan. Do you believe that his voters are going to follow his lead and give his votes to Erdogan, give their votes to Erdogan? I think it's an open-ended question. None of us is in a position to say that uh, it is 100 percent sure that supporters of Erdogan will shift uh, to uh, supporters of Sinan Oğan will shift to President Erdogan. Uh, even Sinan Oğan was uh, saying that uh, there is something wrong with Erdogan's policies. So I am contenting. Uh, I am a competitor in this particular election. Uh, and we should not forget the fact that Sinan Oğan has been supported by other parties in the Ata alliance. So and you should not single out uh, Sinan Oğan as the only guy who used to represent uh, the votes his alliance had already secured. 
You should also put him in the context with his struggle with Ümit Özdağ as well. So one important guy, Ümit Özdağ, shifting towards uh, Kılıçdaroğlu, and the other important guy, Sinan Oğan, shifting towards uh, President Erdoğan, uh, has, has made everything much more complicated than it used to be. So we are not in a position to say that all of uh, Sinanovan supporters will flock to uh, President Erdogan. Mehmet, at, at a time when uh, Sinan Oğan has been called by many analysts potentially a kingmaker in the election cycle, uh, I want to ask you, get your perspective about if you believe that, that Oğan has the kind of powerful party apparatus behind him that would enable him to ensure that his voters or those who voted for him support Erdogan rather than skip the runoff? Well, I, I agree with uh, with the previous speaker that, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Oğan's voting uh, potential uh, is not similar to other candidates where they can actually lead, the, lead a mass and, and direct them to a certain uh, direction on who to, who to support. I think, it, you know, his, his voter base is very heterogeneous, and it's not hom homogeneous in the sense that there is no—he doesn't even represent a party in, in that sense. So it is very difficult to see where his voting uh, will, will be directed to, his voter base will be directed to. Um, on, the, on, the, on the case of nationalism, I think we have to differentiate between nationalism, and we understand it also in the West or in, in Europe, versus the new ultranationalist tendencies on the rise, particularly due to rise of, I mean, due to the presence of uh, Syrian refugees for the past decade. So I think classifying President Erdogan or Mr. Erdogan as, as a, this, a leader that has been capitalizing on very uh, ultranationalistic policies, I think would be a mis I think misrepresentation of his voter base uh, to begin with. And also, I think we should differentiate between his nationalism which I think it's very reactionary. It's a it's a it's a patriotism in in, in the face of threat, security threats, for example, or the Western dictation on on Turkish policies versus the ultranationalism, which has been the case um, with this election, which both Mr. Erdogan and Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu have been trying to appeal to. I think the kingmaker, whether that's Sinan Oğan or whether it is these reactionary or ultranationalist votes, it's something that we have to. Uh, perhaps d discuss and debate and, and clar clar clarify. So, if he if he's a kingmaker, uh, his uh, that will be something that we have to uh, answer by answering whether he's, he has the ability to direct all his voter base or that five and odd percentage towards one candidate or not. I'm not sure if he has that ability, uh, and he himself also says that he's not 100 percent sure whether his all his voters will be directed towards uh, either candidate if he was to align with one of them. Mehmet, let me just follow up on something you're saying. You're talking about trying to differentiate, I believe you were saying, between nationalism and ultranationalism. And I'm, I'm trying to understand precisely how you're delineating this as well. Because if you have both of the major candidates, if you have President Erdogan and you have Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, that are both allying themselves with figures uh, of the ultranationalist parties, you know, who are taking anti-migration and anti-refugee stances, where does that put them along the spectrum going into the second round? Look, the, the anti-refugee or anti-migrant tendencies has been very loud in the Turkish media, in the Turkish politics, although we have to underline that this is not the general sentiment 
of the Turkish society. And I'm making a differentiation between the ultra-nationalists, which have been, uh, you know, uh, which have been described as kingmaker in this election, and the patriotic uh, citizens or voter base, which both Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu and Mr. Erdogan uh, has in their voter base. So there, there has to be that differentiation. But I think more crucial is that, and the reason why this new ultra-nationalist tendencies have been the kingmaker is that they both don't align themselves with both Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu or Mr. Mr. Erdogan. And in the system where 50 plus one or every vote counts, every segment of the society becomes very crucial. Hence why Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu, for example, is, has, was, was able to uh, attract the voters of, the, of the, the Kurds or the HDP. And at the same time, an ultra-nationalist like Mr. Ümit Özda, on his side, I think both Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu and Mr. Erdogan is trying to target every single vote in this new system that is, which is 50 plus one, becomes very, very crucial to have. And, and now that it is, in, it is, you know, for both Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu and Mr. Erdogan, there is this fine line where whether their voters will go to ballot boxes in the second round. One, for Mr. Erdogan, I think there is this sense of success being, you know, mm. the number one alliance in the parliament. Mm. And for Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu, the sense of defeat. So these are two polls which could perhaps lead their voter base not to go to the ballot boxes. And I think mm. the, those, those voters are the kingmakers rather than some of the marginal or, or, or some of this new ultranationalist tendencies. Burak, uh, let's go back almost two weeks. Uh, let's take a look at the lead-up to the first round. I, I want to ask you from your perspective, did the opposition underestimate how much of a role nationalism would play in this election and voters' sense of nationalism as well? I wouldn't call it nationalism. Uh, I would call the effect of the third candidate, Mr. Mr. Sinano, obviously made a, made a difference. And I think the participation also was a bit surprising because uh, the delta between Mr. Erdogan and Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu is 2.5 million votes, whereas over 8 million people did not vote. So if you think about it, if we step back, almost 12 million people did not vote for neither either Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu or for Mr. Erdogan, whereas the delta is 2.5 million. So there is almost five, five times as many people uh, as the delta is missing in the ballot boxes for various, for various reasons. I think that was the potentially missing link in various analyses. So I think the focus on both sides over the last two weeks has been those votes, either by luring Mr. Oan himself or his voters, or by luring the Victory Party and Mr. Ozda, which supported Mr. Oan in the first round, or mobilizing the voters. So I think that's the math rather than the nationalism, I agree with the previous speakers, in a sense that this is a typical marginal water theory situation. The two candidates are close to 50 percent, but not quite. And the missing water uh, or the marginal water uh, is believed to be represented by the nationalist movements. So therefore, they are catering towards those. It doesn't mean that, mm. that uh, there's a general tilt towards the nationalistic movements, because if you think about the parties who are branded as nationalist parties, right? Mm. Uh, there used to be two in the previous election, E and MHP. Uh, there's three now, right? E, MHP, and Victory Party. Their total vote was around 20-21%, and now it's around 22-23%. So there's a notch up, but certainly not a massive grassroots movement, right? Uh, like 2% increase. So I think it's more of a marginal voter theory behavior rather than a nationalism play.
All right, Burak, let me ask you this. Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, Kamala Kalisarolu has, has really changed his tone in recent weeks. I mean, he had cultivated this very sort of grandfatherly image, you know, and uh, right. he stepped up his anti-migrant, his anti-refugee rhetoric. You, you yourself talked about the endorsement from the Victory Party. Um, doesn't this risk alienating perhaps a substantial part of his base, especially many Kurds who supported him in the first round? I mean, that was a, that could have been a potential risk, but it did not materialize. If you look at the declaration by various people, they are still endorsing Mr. Kalisterolo. I mean, the grandfatherly image or the unifying leader uh, was the right image in a sense that he is the candidate for a very broad coalition, right, uh, bringing together various parties, various movements uh, under the tent. So that's almost a natural extension of his personality, of his per political character as well as the realities he's representing, right, leading uh, or representing a broad alliance. So that's almost inevitable. Whereas in the second round, he is stressing his security credentials and anti-immigrant tone for two reasons. One, the current government attacked him on those fronts, uh, sometimes doctoring images, sometimes making allegations, right? So I think he's underscoring those credentials uh, as anti-terrorism, strong national security leadership. So I think that's one. And two is, as I described, the marginal water is there, so it's pragmatically cultivating that particular segment, just like the president himself is doing by cultivating Mr. Ong. So I think that's being understood by various voters. So there may be some marginal reactions, but I think the broader water base, like 45%, which is his, his basic water base in the first round, first round it's understanding why he's doing it. So I don't expect a significant backlash uh, by, to his actions over the recent few weeks. Tarek, um, no matter who ends up prevailing in the runoff, will the strong performance of the nationalists in these elections pull the Turkish government policy further to the right in the years to come? Do you think that will be the impact of this? If you are asking this question in the context of how Turkish foreign policy might evolve in the years to come, I can 400% say that Turkey will come much closer to the non-Western countries, uh, such as China and Russia, and which also includes uh, other non-Western powers as well. Uh, this also suggests that the leaders who have adopted somehow illiberal and authoritarian tendencies in domestic politics uh, will become much more visible all around the globe, and this will somehow boost uh, the chances of such kind of leaders uh, to maintain their power or to come to power in the elections in their own countries in the years to come. And also, we can also uh, suggest that if Erdogan wins this election, a nationalism as a political ideology will continue to dominate uh, Turkish foreign, Turkish domestic politics to some, ex to some extent, to some degree. But we should not forget the fact that no, ma uh, uh, no matter which political uh, rivals or contenders with this election, the most important uh, question facing the Turkish nation in the years to come will be how we get rid of this economic crisis and how Turkey improves somehow its relations with uh, Western powers in its foreign policy. So a leader who speaks very much importance about finding a solution to the economic problem and also putting Turkish foreign policy in the context of much better relations with traditional Western allies uh, will be quite successful. The, the, these are the key issues uh, facing the winner of this presidential election. And I think, let me also say something about the, the question you had already uh, put to other speakers. May I say something about that? Go ahead. Uh, I think the Kılıçdaroğlu has used a polarization strategy on the way to the runoff. Uh, 
Uh, this was quite the opposite of the strategy he adopted on the way to the first round of the elections. He was speaking so politely and very much uh, undervaluing the importance of economy first campaign. But the results ha have disproven uh, Kılıçdaroğlu. So he had to change his position. I should also underline another thing. Uh, he, he has been always saying that this is a kind of election uh, suggesting a kind of referendum on the future of Turkey. So hmm. he was saying that we represent the forces of good, whereas Erdogan represents the forces of uh, bad, uh, ugly forces. And also, this is a very much polarizing, polarization-based strategy. The antithesis of his strategy he adopted in the past. Uh, this is also quite important that it might pay some dividends in the upcoming elections. Mm. And finally, let me also say another thing. Kılıçdaroğlu had in recent days participated in one of YouTube shows, uh, Babala TV, which uh, was the name of the YouTube channel. And he received questions from uh, diehard uh, Erdogan supporters. Uh, and he responded to such questions in an extremely mild manner. Uh, taking their concerns into consideration, even admitting that I did something bad, I did mm. something wrong in the past, but if you give me the chance, I prove that I, I, I learned my lessons, so I will become the president of the whole nation. Anyway, such kind mm. of strategies might face some positive dividends in, the, in, in, in these elections. Let's uh, see. Mehmet, uh, whether we want to define some of these figures as nationalist or ultra-nationalist, fact of the matter is there have been new alliances forged by President Erdogan with figures who are hardline figures on the right, many of them anti-migration, anti-refugee figures. I want to ask you about the new alliances that have been made and how that realigns Turkish politics going forward. If President Erdogan prevails in the runoff, how much does that impact the political landscape in Turkey going forward? Well, it is no secret that there is a new Turkey and that has been redeveloped and, and, and there is a new Turkey that has become uh, a big influential actor uh, in, in, in its region and also international community, international uh, politics. And I think with this new Turkey, its internal dynamics have also changed. And I think one of the reasons, I mean, this whole political spectrum or this new, as you call, you know, this nationalism or new alliances around nationalism have shaped is the fact that there is a huge burden of refugees, some five million refugees in Turkey, which has shaped its, uh, contributed shaping its uh, uh, domestic politics in one way or the other. And now it has shaped its economy in one way or the other. But with this new Turkey uh, in its region and, and new power uh, uh, globally, for example, uh, when it comes to its defense industry for uh, that has been very popular in recent years, its political dynamics have also changed. So there is, you know, this new sense of new Turkey that has shaped political uh, psyche uh, of the society that, uh, you know, created new alliances, new movements, new parties, and new sense of unity uh, in the face of some of external threats, be it along uh, its southern border or uh, with Syria in northern Syria, or be it in the East Med, for example, uh, where Turkey has to protect its, its interests, or be it in Libya. So there's these new dynamics that are affected by economy, by uh, social issues like refugee issue, or by security issues that internal dynamics have, I mean, internal politics have been using and utilizing as an instrument to form these alliances. 
and how these will play out in the future, I, I think will also depend on this, maintaining this new Turkey, whether Turkey is going to be, you know, one that becomes a mere puppet of the West or turns its back to the East or puts all its, its eggs in one basket, or whether it is going to diversify its uh, uh, eggs uh, and, and partners and, you know, uh, on the one side maintains, try to maintain some relations with the West. On the mm. other hand, try to broker a deal between Russia and the Ukraine when it comes to the grain, for example, or global food security. So all these new roles on Turkey's shoulder, mm. of course, ultimately affects its domestic uh, uh, dynamics, domestic political dynamics, domestic social cohesion and mm. and and through this new equation a new new uh, atmosphere is uh, emerging i think these political alliances are partially due to these new uh, dimensions that turkey mm. has been evolving into in the past two decades Tarek, uh, President Erdogan's strong or stronger than expected showing in the first round really surprised a lot of the pollsters who had predicted a different outcome. How did pollsters get this so wrong? That's the question which proves to be extremely difficult to answer because many pollsters had assumed, I guess, uh, the people, the Turkish electorate, would very much take into account how miserable an economic situation we have at home and how severe uh, the migration problem is already uh, in today's Turkey. And also thinking that uh, people are really fed up with illiberal authoritarianism or lack of democracy are very much value political rights and human rights. But we have clearly seen that uh, Turkish electorate uh, is much more homo sociologicus rather than homo economicus. So identity-based politics uh, focus on the national interests and uh, concerns over survival uh, and, and, and allegiance to President Erdogan, believing that Okay, he might have done something bad in recent years, but we know that when he was given the opportunity, he did many things in the, in, many things good in the past. So he could repeat his success story when we have uh, given him a, another chance. So I think such kind of considerations uh, have been largely underestimated or, or, or ignored by many uh, postal companies. Uh, so this is very much important. And Tarek, I'm sorry. Tarek, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We're, we are starting to run out of time. We just have about two minutes left. I want to ask you, if Mr. Kalistadolu were to prevail in the runoff, how difficult would it be for him to unite his alliance after the election? How tough would that be? I think that's the key question. Even President Erdogan is underlying this uh, point. He was saying that, okay, the nation alliance consists of six political parties as well as uh, Özdağ supporters. So reaching consensus will be extremely difficult within this coalition, and he has some point on that. Uh, he, and also, another difficulty might arise if we have a president coming from one particular alliance, but the parliament coming from another alliance. So how these two agencies will cooperate with each other, that is an extremely difficult question to answer. Uh, so Kılıçdaroğlu uh, will face increasingly difficult situation when he was given the opportunity to rule the country because reaching consensus is not a part of Turkish political culture and ruling on consensus is very much required in today's Turkey but it will prove quite, uh, too difficult to, to, to achieve because it is not in the DNA of Turkish body politics. let me put this way. All right, we've run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to our guests, Mehmet Celik and Tarek Ozlu. And thanks also to Burak Dalgin. He was with us earlier and had to leave the program early. 
This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Katia Lopez-Hodoyan, Abla Kla, and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Anil Anandan, Linda Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next episode. This week on The Take, will Spanish football finally tackle its racism problem? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.